Namaste. So as we know, before every new age, there is a battle, Kurushetra. So in this age also we see that because it's a radical change, the Kurushetra has and is taking place on all the levels of mankind. So at the physical level, human body has never been exposed to so many diverse, different and even challenging atmospheres because of travel, because of uh, pollutant, because of uh, so many changes taking place in the earth atmosphere. Uh, at the vital level, we know that uh, the war as never before was fought during the first half of the previous century. And at the mental level, the battle is still going on because we are going to ascend beyond this uh, stage in which we are today. We can truly say it is almost the acme of mental age because man has created something which resembles it and surpasses it, the artificial intelligence. Even the spiritual realm has become a kind of battlefield because on one side there are extremely narrow uh, positions with regard to the spiritual thought. On the other hand, there are very wide positions and there is a battle going on between the two. So all kinds of forces are at play. They have jumped into the arena, raising questions, challenging the extreme limits of thought and experience. And one by one, we deal with it as it comes. One of them is to come to the question of today is that did Rama and Krishna exist? So this question has been obviously raised by very vested interests. And I even uh, read somewhere, which was very uh, strange and stupid thought, if I may say so, that uh, Rama and Krishna are mythological and legendary figures. Therefore, there is no uh, truth about Sanatana Dharma. <laughs> it is the most strange conclusion. Whereas Buddha, Christ, they have been generous to Buddha, and Muhammad were historical figures. Therefore, the religion is true. First of all, we are making a cardinal mistake here. Sanatana Dharma is not man-specific. It's not even book-specific. So in this sense, Sanatana Dharma is so much like science. In science, the discovery matters. Who discovered is okay. We may say that so-and-so has discovered it. But what is discovered, is that truth valid or not valid? Does the flow of time Prove it that it is true. Because sometimes at a given point of time, people may believe in a truth. It's a fact. But over a period of time, history passes a verdict that no, this is not how things are. For instance, science of some time in some portion of the earth may have believed that well, sun rises from the east and sets in the west. But then over a period of time, as science advanced, it said no, this is not a correct assessment of things. Because the sensory truth is not the final truth. It is a pragmatic truth for everyday use. Similarly, just like science, again, it is not dependent on our book. So in science also, as we discover new books are written, new editions come. So there is a scope of, if I may say so, the third aspect is there should be an evolutionary possibility in, in whatever truth we have found in terms of its practical utility and its ground reality. For instance, every uh, scripture will see these two truths. One is the eternal reality. That will be the same. But also there is the law which is given to man. And it should be capable of evolving without losing ground of this fundamental truth. 
So when we examine on these counts and many more, we see that Sanatana Dharma closely resembles science. Even if Rama and Krishna did not exist, it's not only a question of proving, even if they did not exist, and all the avatars and all the gurus did not exist. And we didn't know who has written the Vedas. Most people don't know, incidentally. Still Sanatana Dharma would continue because it's based on certain fundamental truths. So if you have to challenge, you have to challenge these truths and not the historical figures. Unlike certain Semitic religions which are based on historical figures. Second is, it's not scripture dependent. It's not because it is written in the book, but because it can be verified by the soul of man. That's the beauty of Sanatana Dharma. That okay, you will start by saying that God is within me, but can I verify? Again, like science. Can I discover God? Sanatana Dharma says yes. There is a method, there is a process and if you follow it faithfully, just like any system of science, you can discover that science is called yoga. So to start with, this question has no bearing on Sanatana Dharma because Sanatana Dharma is independent of any one or even all the originators. It is also independent of any one or any scripture because the scriptures state a truth which we can verify. And thirdly, it is always evolving and the classic example is at one point of time, Vedas were regarded as the ultimate truth. They still are. But then when Upanishads were culled out from the Vedas, without discarding the Vedas, a new way of life or a new, uh, let's say, the whole Sanatana Dharma was revivified. And after that, even more interestingly, we see that the Gita comes. Now when the Gita comes, we don't say Gita is uh, not true simply because it is not echoing the same sentences as the Vedas. On the contrary, we say it is the milk of the Upanishads. And similarly, as we proceed, gurus come, masters come. When Sri Ramakrishna comes and there are new religions which have come into existence, which we do not find in the even in the Gita, because you know all these religions had not come. And Sri Ramakrishna synthesizes them. And says, well, if you are sincere, then doesn't matter what path you take. You will arrive at God. What was he saying? He was affirming an ancient truth of the Vedas, Ekam Sad Vipra Bahudavadanti. Only thing is, he put it in context of religion, which was necessary at this point of time. And still further, when Shirobindu comes, he says that, well, God is hidden in matter, which is a fundamental truth of the Vedas, and therefore matter can be divinized. So when we look at Sanatana Dharma, it's very scientific, it's evolutionary, progressive, it's independent of a person or many persons, it's independent of scriptures. This is the background. Still, we can answer this question. What is the evidence that Rama and Krishna existed? Unlike these modern historians who say that, well, uh, Christ and Buddha are true because there are actual accounts, verifiable accounts. Verifiable means there are people who saw them, met them. So there is a sensory evidence which has been documented in history. And Rama and Krishna are not true because there are no accounts. First of all, this is not true, but we will come to that a little later. But if sensory evidence, seeing is believing, then it doesn't matter whether Christ, Buddha, Muhammad, Sri Krishna existed or not. Because they are all speaking of things which are suprasensible. That is God. And the reality of the divine cannot be experienced through these senses, as the Gita itself says. So it doesn't matter. Even if historically, let us say, X, Y or Z existed, but what he is saying is about God, whom we cannot experience or sense, then it collapses. 
So there is a basic fallacy in that argument because the moment you say they are myths and legends because somebody did not see them, therefore they don't exist. So we could equally say, well, God has not been seen, so God doesn't exist. That's a circular argument where you open a ditch for yourself while trying to make somebody else fall in the ditch. I hope this is a very clear logical argument. The second is that Indian thought, unlike a very limited thought which is born out of a materialistic understanding of life, speaks of evidence at at least three levels. First is material evidence. Material evidence, as we see in history, did somebody who ever saw Krishna and Rama, is there anyone, real, real person, who saw them? Well, now I will not speak about Buddha, Christ and Muhammad. But about Rama and Krishna, interestingly, both Ramayana and the Mahabharata have been written by those who were contemporaries of Krishna, Rama and Krishna. So in Ramayana, in fact, the story goes that when Valmiki experiences the shooting of the arrow and sees the uh, two crunch um, pakshi die, and suddenly the Anustub meter is born, he suddenly utters something and he asks Narad, what is this? That has, I am experiencing and what is it that I have spoken? He says, this is poetry and this is the Anustub meter. So what should I do with it? He says, that means the poet is born in you. Write a poetry. So he says, on whom shall I write the poetry? So Narad says, at, in this age, the best person on whom you can write a poetry is Rama. So where is Ram? Rama has been born in Ayodhya. He is the prince and he embodies dharma. So this is how the story starts. So who is Valmiki? Valmiki is somebody who has seen Ram, met Ram, is a part of that play. And Valmiki is real for sure because the, the writing continues to exist. And nobody has ever contradicted. People have said there are additions to Valmiki Ramayana. There are modifications to Valmiki Ramayana. But nobody has ever challenged that whether Valmiki existed or didn't exist. Obviously, somebody did exist and he has written it. So, it's a very documented evidence of first-hand seeing. Similarly with Krishna, Vyas is written, who is not only has met Krishna, he is part of the story of the Mahabharata. So, it is very interesting. I think they did it very deliberately. My own feeling is because they knew that thousands of years down the line, maybe somebody would raise this controversy. Second, Another kind of historical evidence, did the city of Ayodhya, Dwarka, Ram Setu, these big things, did they exist? Ram Setu, we know, has been proved beyond doubt, so much so that till 1400, there is account of not only Indian historians, but Megasthenes of uh, Al-Baruni, many of them, who have actually spoken of this Setu. And it was known as Nal Setu. Sri Ram mentions about it as Nal Setu. But later on, it changed into Rama Setu. Some people also call it Setu Band. Um, I know as, as a child when we went to uh, for Mundan to Rameshwaram, it was known as Setu Band Rameshwaram. That's how my parents used to call it. My own Mundan was done there. <laughs> Setu Band Rameshwaram. Did the, does the Rameshwaram temple exist which is documented in Ramayana? Yes, it exists. And a magnificent temple dedicated to Shiva. Are there footprints of Rama, Sita and Ravana in respective places? Yes, there are. What about Ayodhya? Well, who has dug, dug Ayodhya? But if you dig, you will definitely find many more evidences. But at least the name exists. Name exists in way back. 
in ancient puranas that one of the most ancient cities which is guarded by the gods so this is i think more than enough and now they have dug and found even the birthplace of uh, shri rama and birthplace of shri krishna so what more we need as documented evidence historically historically even the gita exists which is the dialogue of shri krishna which is much more in volume in in its power impact than let us say uh, some of these other scriptures which have come up so this is one kind of evidence rama setu exists dwarka exists the footprints exist the names mentioned in the cities exist the first hand document of rama and krishna exists and they are mentioned not only in one document but several um, generations down the line and not only that when we look at shri ram 25 generations before ram have been documented right from the first kayon of the ikshvaku and ragu and kalidas famous raguvans so obviously people who say these things have are have not read uh, not even thought deeply and they just say things but it's important for us to know and even later on what happened to love kush all this documented even we have stories of the vanshaj of rama on the field of mahabharata which is a later scripture and similarly in mahabharata we see that the entire lineage of the chandravanshis is documented subsequently krishna we know that he destroyed uh, i mean all his uh, whoever was left but we have avshesh of krishna in jagannathpuri we have um, dwarka which has been discovered i mean if this is not evidence i think this is more evidence than perhaps actually exist of anyone else so this one of course we don't have a graveyard dedicated to them because uh, uh, rama took jala samadhi in saryu in any case the uh, system was to burn the body and shri krishna we know he also went through the same daha sanskar though we know that with shri krishna he is again mentioned in harivansh uh, charithi is mentioned in mahabharata he is mentioned in the bhagavat puran he is mentioned in other scriptures shri krishna along chandogya upanishad where not only shri krishna is mentioned along with shri krishna uh dwapayan vyas is mentioned along with them dhritarashtra is mentioned all contemporaries so there is more than enough evidence i don't want to spend time just elaborating on it but this is more than enough physically but the beauty of sanatan dharma it, it believes evidence exists at other levels and that second level is psychological evidence what is psychological evidence does the influence of rama and krishna trickle down the line and what kind of influence it is so now when we see down the line over thousands of years we see that shri rama and shri krishna continue to influence mankind and this influence we are not discussing how it is transmitted occult way but this is psychological evidence in the sense even today and that's what matters really we'll read something from shirobindo taking the name of rama there are people who feel not only charged energized they they find that their illnesses get healed <laughs> i mean we can say that it could be for any divine being nevertheless well ram is one of the names let's put it like that whose contact has a certain impact and influence upon mankind same with shri krishna that it continues to have an influence people have taken the name of shri krishna and arrived at the states of liberation so it continues to be relevant valid and we also know that this influence is good whatever we may say nobody becomes violent
taking the name of Rama and Krishna. On the contrary, whenever we talk about Rama, though he is the warrior of warriors, the influence that is transmitted is Mariyada Purushottam. So you see again, the influence is a very positive one. Unlike certain influences, which ultimately end up in a very negative way. We know that there are historical figures who are now famous founders of religions. But look at what the influence, what happened to the influence down the lines over a few hundred years, whatever that may have been in the origin. But look at the influence of Sri Rama, who decimated the entire army of Rama. But whenever we talk of Rama, the influence is Maryada Purushottam. That's how we have people who, who know about uh, Hindu way of life, they understand that we grew up and we were always giving the, given the example of Rama as somebody who was Maryadit. Not as somebody who was Amaryadit who will just, you know, he is so much power and he is self-restrained. This self-restraint of Almighty power is what characterizes Rama. That is the influence we see down the line in Indian civilization. Therefore, there is a big difficulty for Indians to understand the Western civilization and for the West to understand India. Because um, as I was just uh, hearing some small little clip, someone has said very beautifully, in the Western context, we have this all is fair in love and war. And we also hear, but in Sanatana Dharma, we don't say that. We say, Prem mein maryada hai, tyag hai, tapasya hai. Aur yuddh mein dharma hai, aur shaur hai. This is how actually we have grown up. So love never was, you know, all is fair. There was a maryada of love, a dharma of love. And that dharma, dharma of love was giving oneself. Tyag, tapasya. Sacrifice. This is how we grew up looking at our own parents and their grandparents. Of course, now it is much more broken still. And similarly in war, there was a niti, a niyam. It was not that in war, I will do whatever I feel like. There always was dharma in the war. That's why people raise questions about why Krishna allowed this, why uh, Rama shot Wali from uh, behind the trees. That Those are questions we have already answered elsewhere. So I will not go into it. But dharma, the meaning of dharma is so important and central to Indian thought. So, there is a whole civilization centered around Rama, which believed in strength but not unbridled strength, which worshipped force but not higher than knowledge. Wisdom was its pinnacle. Similarly, we see Krishna's influence. People may blame him for Kurushetra or whatever. But the moment we think of Krishna, we think of Madhurta, love, Ananda. It is very strange. Isn't it? Nobody has ever waged a war in the name of Krishna. Holy or unholy. One instance in the entire history of Indian spiritual thought where a war was raised for Krishna. Always Krishna's name stood for reconciliation, for love, for beauty, for ananda. Isn't it strange? So we have the influence which is documented and that's what is relevant. It is a kind of evidence, not a kind of evidence. In fact, a very powerful evidence. Somebody may have existed whom someone may say was a great figure. But if his name evokes in me hatred, anger, jealousy, then what kind of influence it is? Whereas somebody whose name evokes in me beauty, love, harmony, strength, then that is a positive influence. Even if the person, we may say, existed or not existed, people can debate Third evidence is spiritual evidence. Spiritual evidence means, can if there is a divine being, there should be a way that I should be able to see him. 
because divine beings cannot be limited by the human body. Okay? So here again we come to Rama and Krishna. Even as late as this age, even I would say this generation, my generation, I know people who had vision of Krishna and Rama. And closely I know them, who prayed to Rama and had the darshan of Rama, were blessed by his darshan. People who in their dream and dream vision had the darshan of Mata Sita. I, I know such people who even today, so this is called a spiritual evidence, which in Indian thought was regarded as much more powerful than material evidence. That's why Indians never question do gods exist or they don't exist. They did not, they knew that material evidence is a very limited evidence. After all, what does the senses see? Even a human being in front of me, I see a body, but his influence is the psychological reality which I may not perceive today, but I would perceive maybe much later. And the spiritual evidence is if we continue to experience this reality or his reality down the ages and we know that with the name of Rama, so many, even our own uh, Shurabindu Ashram, we had uh, Babaji Maharaj who had vision of all the avatars in Shurabindu, who was a devotee of Sri Rama. We know the testimony of Tulsi Das, how when the robbers came to steal his house, they ran away because they saw Two heroic young men with Dhanush Ban. <laughs> so they ran away. Who, who are these people? So we have testimony of great saints and cutting across down south through Alluvar. Look at, you know, then those Andals of, you know, Tamil Nadu who had the vision of Krishna. So this is called a spiritual evidence. Now compare this evidence with certain religions. We speak about historical figures. How many, there are many who don't even believe that it's possible to come in spiritual contact with the divine origin. They only say that there is this son of God through whom you can get redeemed. And even him you cannot see. Very unfortunate. We know how Joan of Arc was burnt because she heard heavenly voices. And in these religions, which I do believe have become unfortunately dated unless they evolve. There is a scope of evolution. So we see that the spiritual evolution um, uh, influence has waned, come to a halt. Because it's not allowed. There is only one person who could experience the divine. We know the story of that uh, Sufi mystic who in his deep ecstatic trance would say, I am Allah. And people said, ah, what are you saying? It's blasphemous. You can't experience Allah, let alone become him. So he also, when he would come to his outer awareness, because it contradicted with his doctrine, and well, it didn't matter what name. He was sincere in his seeking. So he said, no, no, no. Next time I say, please cut me. Cut my sartan se juda. And the disciples were very faithful. And well, that's what happened when, you know, in his state, he would say that I am uh, one <laughs> without a second. So he was actually into yoga. It didn't matter. He could have taken any name and realized that because he was a sincere seeker. So we have at least three evidences. Physical, which is what? Material. We have the psychological evidence and we have the spiritual evidence. So, um, and this evidence continues. And I, as I said, even disregarding all this, if an influence is positive, whether of a person or a name, it should be not only accepted, but welcomed in humanity. If the name of Krishna fills our heart with love, devotion, faith, 
Madhurta, sweetness. If the name of Ram fills us with Shaurya, Shakti, Maryada, it is wonderful. Doesn't matter whether they existed or not. Whereas the name of a particular divine being fills me with hatred, anger, sense of mindless destruction, then that influence is best discarded whether existed or not. So I'll just read one passage from Shurabindo from Essays on the Gita. Such controversies as the one that has raised in Europe over the historicity of Christ would seem to a spiritually minded Indian largely a waste of time. So that's why we don't discuss whether gods existed or not. We know that it's a spiritual truth. If I pray to Shiva, I receive uh, healing, I receive peace. People have vision of Shiva. I know somebody who was in a state of acute distress for three days and nights. Personally, he was document, you know, telling me this. He said uh, he was going through a severe heartbreak and well, he was totally shattered. That story is uh, not relevant. But the important part was he was in great distress. He was in the ashram. And he was a great Shiva Bhakti. Even as a young age, he used to have these visions. And in that distress, suddenly you saw Shiva. Now the beauty is the description of Shiva is just the same as mother has described. So you see there are descriptions which match. So Shiva appeared in his subtle body. Now science is talking of parallel universes. <laughs> we knew this always. So he appeared and he just told him three times one sentence. Ma jagat janani tu kahe kurota. I'll translate in English. Mother is the mother of the worlds. Why are you crying? Three times. I said, what have you said? Not only my ear tried, uh, dried, tears dried, he started feeling peace and bliss. He was confused. That what happened to me? See, it's very disorienting. You are in a deep pain. <laughs> and suddenly, you feel not only peace, but joy. I asked, how long did it last? He said, three days. Just like three days, he was in tears. And then what happens? Then, of course, all this faded. And he was fine. His life was normal. He had... Breakdown much later. That's a different thing and for different reasons. So this is called as a spiritual evidence. Gods exist or not, you cannot know by physical eyes. And in Indian mind, it was understood that there are eyes other than the physical, there are universes other than the physical, and there are yogis who can access them, and it was known as apta vakya praman. Therefore, we had in Indian thought, one was Pratyaksh Praman, seeing. So if somebody had a vision of Krishna, it was regarded as Praman. Pratyaksh. Pratyaksh was not only material. Then there was Anuman. And then there was Aptvakya Praman. Then there was Scriptural Praman. So there are many uh, kind of Pramanas which exist. And uh, I just want to say that it is such a vast and rich Sanatan Dharma. And, to, uh, and, and it, it's the need of the hour because it is so wide and catholic so he says it would appear a, you know he would concede to it a considerable historical but hardly any religious importance for what does it matter in the end whether a Jesus son of the carpenter Joseph was actually born in Nazareth or Bethlehem lived and taught and was done to death on a real or trumped up charge of sedition so long as we can know by spiritual experience the inner Christ. 
See, that's how we had the wonderful book, Imitation of Christ, which Swami Vivekananda is one of his favorite books. Because it's a yoga. Unfortunately, both Christianity and Islam, they destroyed the yoga. It still must be there somewhere. That is why people who are very sincere, maybe a few, can realize the truth. But it's hardly there because it was crushed under the machine of an organized religion. And that is so destructive to the spiritual impulse. Stifled under a mass of rituals, rites, with nobody else to take up the fire. Whoever took it like Joan of Arc, they were put to death or, you know. So this is where one should be so careful. So Shivinda says, So far as we can know by spiritual experience the inner Christ, live uplifted in the light of his teaching, and escape from the yoke of the natural law by that atonement of man with God of which the crucifixion is the symbol. So what does it mean? It says when we, when this matter born soul or soul which has taken birth in a material body, original sin means this. If by the touch of the divine it is redeemed of all the imperfections and limitations and the ignorance and obscurity, that is what is important. So if it can still realize it, by remembrance of Christ, by the inner experience of Christ, it is irrelevant whether physically Christ was born or not born. I mean, it's of little importance. If the Christ, God made man, lives within our spiritual being, it would seem to matter little whether or not a son of Mary physically lived and suffered and died in Judea. So too, the Krishna who matters to us is the eternal incarnation of the divine and not the historical teacher and leader of men. Of course, Shubhinda goes on to say that there is enough historical evidence of Krishna. But what is relevant is if mankind can still grow and realize the truths of the Gita in their inner consciousness. If mankind can still get freed from ignorance by the remembrance of Krishna. If man can still hope and be, you know, his heart be full of love for God. He can have a vision of God, realization of God by the remembrance of Rama and Krishna. That's all that matters to the Indian mind. So this is the overall view about did Rama and Krishna exist? Yes. And not only materially, but they continue to exist psychologically and will continue to exist spiritually as long as man remains and looks for a path for freedom from ignorance. They will continue to exist. After man, beyond man, as Shivinda says, we shall see. <laughs> Namaste. Okay, cover over.